Old Testament reading this morning is Psalm 148. I'm going to ask you to please turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 148. And then we'll go over to Romans chapter 8, 18 through 25. Psalm 148. And all creation praises God. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all you, his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun, moon, stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created, and he established them forever and ever. He gave a decree, and it will not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures in all the deeps. Fire, hail, snow, and mist, stormy winds fulfilling his word. Mountains and hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. He has raised up a horn for his people, praise for all his saints, for all the people of Israel who are near to him. Praise the Lord. Amen and praise God. That is our praise to him. Now over to Romans chapter 8. We are back in our study this morning and I will read um, eight, chapter 8, 18 through 25. Paul says this, for I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Not only creation, but we ourselves, who have been the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we eagerly, as we wait eagerly for adoptions as son, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. May God bless the reading and the preaching and the receiving of his word this morning. Yeah, so we are getting back to Romans. So this calls for a quick overview of Romans up to this point. I really pray that the Lord is using this. I know it's, you know, as we're going through, I want you to try to get the whole scope of it into your minds and your hearts as the sections we are going through. Because it's meant for the church. It's meant for us. to to understand who we are apart from Christ, who we are in Christ, what awaits us as Christians. So the first three chapters of Romans, if you remember very quickly, talked about the nature, the depth, the effect of sin on us, just the reality of, of, of our helplessness, of our sinfulness, of the hopelessness apart from Jesus Christ. So that's chapters 1 through like 323, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Then comes the wonderful news, right? The amazing news. Chapters 3 through 5, the glory of the gospel. That's our hope. We're so sinful and we can't save ourselves. 
Christ is sent to save us. So chapters 3, 24 through 5, we see the glory of the gospel and that we are justified. We are declared not guilty. We are righteous in the sight of God. He doesn't hold our sins, past, present, future against us. They've been washed away. Our sins are washed away. Our sins are, are buried with Christ Jesus. We have peace with God through Christ. And then chapter 6 to where we are right now uh, through chapter 8. It's just so amazing because it's hard for us to believe at times that how sweet salvation is. The depth of that salvation, the depth of the love. Can he really forgive me, man, that much? Still, even as a Christian, I know how much I sin against him and and how much I want to put his way off because I want to feel the desires of my heart even when it doesn't comport with his word, man. I want to do what I want to do and yet he continues to love us. And and so we're we're struggling in that battle and there's a real part of us that doesn't want to sin. If you love Jesus Christ, do you want to sin? No, we don't. And yet we do, man. And we go back and forth. So we talked about that in Romans 6 to 8. So what Paul was doing, he's giving us that assurance of salvation. If you're in Christ, you cannot lose it because he keeps us. It's not that we're holding on to him. He has his grip on us. And Paul's teaching that. He gives us assurance after assurance. I know how hard it is. I know the struggle. Remember in Romans 7? I do the things that I don't want to do. The things I do want to do, I don't do them. All that I would be delivered from this body of death. So he assures us of that salvation. We are free from the bondage of sin. But that battle with sin remains. And it's very, very real, isn't it? I mean, we are so joyful as Christians. You need to be. And yet it's so painful to be a Christian at times, isn't it? It's just the life that we're called to live, the life that we want to live. Most of the time, the, you know, the sin that tempts us away from that life. It's just that, it's just that struggle. We love it. We love Christ. We love being Christians. Yet it's difficult as we continue to struggle with the world, with the flesh, and with the devil. Right? So this section, he's assuring us. Yes, we know the struggle, but here's, here's, the truth of God's word. So we went through that in chapter eight and we'll continue on that this morning. Our section this morning, listen, man, this is deep, deep, deep encouragement and deep assurance for us as Christians to persevere, to hang in there, to don't give up. How many people that you know started off so well as Christians in the life and now they're gone. They're just out. They're, they're, they're not following Christ. They're not loving the Lord or their walk is just real superficial. I mean, they're very worldly. They do the things they want to do, but they do their little Christian duty over here. That's, that's, he say, no, 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 no. This is the encouragement to persevere through the Christian life, which is very difficult if you're being faithful, right? When you're faithful, it's tough. So he starts off in verse 18. And, and he just compares our present condition as Christians and the future that awaits us as Christians, that eternal hope that we have. He says, listen, I'm, I consider that the sufferings, and there are sufferings as Christians, and we'll talk about that this morning, of this present time, right now, right now, they can't be compared. They're not worth comparing with the glory that's, being, that's going to be revealed to us. We're just saying about that in that last hymn. The clear teaching of Paul right up front, verse 18, is that the things that we go through, the things that you go through as a Christian, the hardships that you encounter as a Christian, the trials that you endure as a Christian, the pain and sorrow that you feel from living the Christian life and seeking to be faithful as you're serving Christ, Everything, all the, all the hardships, whether it's self-denial, whether it's difficulties you face because of what you believe and you're being rejected or you're dejected. He's saying that's not worth 
being, that's not, does it, it's not worth comparing to what belongs to us in eternity. Do you understand that? That's what keeps us going, man. That's what should keep you going to be faithful as Christians in this life because it does get hard. And sometimes you just want to quit. I just want to give over to myself. I don't want to be that person that has to say this. I don't want to, but this is what keeps us going because of that which awaits us, the glory that awaits us. Um, Paul speaks to this in other, other areas of Scripture. Check it out, 2 Corinthians 4.17. We're told this, this light momentary affliction, and that means a Christian life. He says it, light momentary. He's kind of um, juxtaposing against what, what we have waiting for us. Um, is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So no matter how hard it gets to live the Christian life in this world, it it can't be compared to what is coming, what awaits us. This isn't pie in the sky. Don't think that. This is actual fact based on God who created us. This is the reality for those who believe in him. 1 Corinthians 2.9, As it's written, what no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor heart can imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. Do you love him? Do you trust him? Are you willing to persevere and go through the difficulties and not turn your back on Christ? Persevering through the difficulties, we can look forward to the eternal state. That's what Paul's looking forward to here. It's not the intermediate state. He's not talking about when we die as Christians, where do we go? We go to be with the Lord. Today you will be with me in paradise. We'll be in the presence of the Lord. There will be great joy there. That's called the intermediate state. What Paul was looking forward to here is the eternal state. When all things are made new, the, the new creation, the, that, that when we are resurrected, the new heavens and the new earth. That's what he's ultimately looking forward to because the earth that we're living on now as Christians is filled with futility, difficulties, and hardships. And that's what he does. He compares our life as Christians with creation itself. So even creation is groaning out. So, so, Look at, look at verses 19 through 23. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For since the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption to obtain freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. So, listen, do you, do you hear those words? Waiting, longing, hoping, groaning, right? It is a personification, a, a figure of speech to teach us to endure the hardships and look forward to, to the new creation in Christ. But also, it's very real because we live in a world that has been profoundly affected by sin. Now, it will be made new, but right now, even the creation itself is fallen, right? And that takes us all the way back to the early chapters of Genesis. When God created the world, what did he say after everything was, after, after the initial, after creation was completed? He saw it and it was what? What? Who said good? Yeah, it was good, but it was more than that. It was very good. It was very good. It was perfect. It was pristine. There was no sin, no pain, no weeds. It was perfect in every single way. Now, listen, man, at times, and God is so good this way. He gives us a glimpse, the tiniest taste of that perfection in ways. You know, sometimes as we look out of creation, say, no, this is, this is a way, like when David looked at the stars in, in the sky, this, when I view the stars above, the, everything that your hands have made, I'm just in awe of you. Who am I, Lord? Psalm 8, right? So sometimes we get that tiny taste. And, and he's so gracious in that way to give us that, that, that taste of that perfection 
in a sense. Not that it is because we're fallen, but what it was like, what it will be like. Just moments of that, right? So if someone gets a light, I just want to, um, the beauty, the grandeur, the majesty. So will you hit the lights real quick, Tobias? Look at this field. <laughs> See that beautiful garden, right? That's tight. That's that's like a taste, isn't it? Just a little tidy taste of his goodness, or or that look calm ocean. How, don't, how serene that is. And that just brings you that glory and that majesty to God, or that perfect stream just flowing quiet, nicely, the glistening snow on mountaintops. Like we look at this and say, "Wow, God is so good." Just like a little taste of 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 his goodness of that of that very goodness of, of creation, the beautiful sand dunes that, that you could see there in that way. So that's, that's that, we just get that tiny glimpse. But nevertheless, look at verse 19 when he says, the creation waits with eager longing <clears throat> for the revealing of the sons of God. When he says, when we see that, that eager longing, that, that speaks tells us that something's not right. Because even creation's longing very eagerly, waiting for something else, waiting for something new. And that, it's a really interesting word, that eagerness of longing. It's, it's like such great anticipation. It's like if you're at, a, I don't know, at some concert or venue or you want to see somebody that you admire so much and you're waiting for that person. What do you do? You get up on your tippy toes and you're kind of looking and straining to see. That's what that means. That's what creation is doing as it looks to God and waiting for the sons of God. And that's, again, that takes us past the intermediate state to the eternal state when the earth is made new, when it's inhabited by all those who have believed, all those who have loved him, all those who are waiting for his, his appearing. So even from Isaiah 66, we have a, a, a picture of this. He says, behold, I create new heavens and new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or even come to mind. That's the eternal state, new heavens and new earth promised in the Old Testament. Isaiah 66, 22, in a similar way. For the new heavens and the new earth that I will make shall remain before me, says the Lord. So shall your offspring and your name remain. It looks forward to full redemption. That's exactly what it does because verse 20 tells us, it gives it up. It tells us that we're, the, the, the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. So that tells us of the fallen nature of Christ. Where does that take us? Right back to Genesis chapter 3 again. Genesis three seventeen, we are told this. To Adam he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife, have eaten a tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. So there's a, a real good picture, sense of, of the fall itself, that futility that, that the earth was subjected to because of the fall of mankind. Because man disobeyed, not only has man been distant from God, but the creation itself now becomes a place. While it still has that beauty of God, retains the beauty of God, it's a hard place to live, isn't it? It's a difficult place, and it's hard to, to live in this way because that beautiful garden that you saw, that picture of that beautiful garden, it didn't just sprout up. If you just let that go, what's going to sprout up there? Nothing but weeds, and you're going to be overrun with, with weeds and terrible things. That garden takes work. It's a result of hard work, sweat, 
pain, plowing, planting, watering, caring, protecting, praying, you know, praying that drought doesn't come, praying that floods don't destroy, praying that, praying that disease doesn't take over. See, that's that, that fallenness, as much, as much beauty as there is, that ocean, how serene that was. Yeah, one moment it's that, the next moment it's a raging sea. And if any of you are caught in a storm at sea, you know what that's like. It's very scary. If you're caught in a, in a riptide, man, that's real scary too because you're just kind of being taken away. That overpowering um, sense, that quiet stream that you looked at very easily can turn into a torrential flood that just sweeps you away. That glistening snow, a deadly avalanche. Those cool-looking sand dunes, de- desperately dry, deadly heat that kills. See, the world is a dangerous, unforgiven, fallen place. So it longs for redemption. It's subject. We are subject to all kinds of misery because we live in a fallen world. The shorter catechism is real helpful here. Question nineteen says, "What's the mis- What is the misery of that estate into where mankind fell?" All mankind fall by their fall, lost communion with God, are under his wrath and curse, and made liable to all the miseries of this life, to death itself, and the pains of hell forever. So we are made liable to all the miseries of this life. That's the fallen world that we live in. So even as Christians, don't think because we're Christians we're immune. And that's, uh, you know, the sense. Even as Christians, there's no special exemptions for us regarding these things, living in this world as we do. We get sick, we contract diseases, deadly diseases, we battle deep depression, some of us very much so, we get into accidents just like everybody else, right? So I think, so. man, just, we're, we're still susceptible to the fallen nature of this world in that way, right? Even those freak accidents, the kind of wrong place, wrong time accidents, it's not the Christians are exempt from that in any single, any way. We're, you know, we're, we're, we had a, a young family in Kansas, and they were on vacation. The family was driving. Parents were ahead. The kids were behind. And, like, randomly, uh, a big tire fell off one of those big rigs, rolled uh, across the barrier, and right onto the driver's side windshield and caused an accident. The, the, the son, Luke, was killed instantly, and other family members were injured very badly to this day. So we're not, we're susceptible to that. We, we, it's not that, okay, we're Christians, so the, the fall still does not affect us. The earth, we're not affected in that way. We feel deep pain. We feel deep sorrow. We feel deep loss. It's part of being in a sin-cursed, fallen world with that futility. There's no doubt about that. Now, listen to this. Without Jesus Christ... This is where the unbeliever remains. There's going to be good news for us as Christians, even in this place. But right now, without Christ, that's where the unbeliever remains. Listen, they're desperately trying to find meaning, hope, happiness, peace in a world that is subject to futility that only ends in hopelessness. Do you see how hopeless that is? So when you see these people trying to find themselves, trying to find happiness, trying to find joy, trying to find meaning, trying to find purpose, in this world, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. That's what Ecclesiastes is all about. The vanity, the futility of this world apart from God. I'm going to read some quotes from Famous philosophers, these people that study life, you know, the, the, the transcendent, and they try to find out the meaning of life and all that they do, and, and, and they're thinkers, and they think deeply about these kinds of things. Listen to, 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 to what some have said. 
regarding the, the futility of this world. Since all of life is futility, then the decision to exist must be the most irrational of all. See, where's the hope in that? You know, so we're looking at like, the philosophers to give us meaning, you know, help us to understand life. Jean-Paul Sartre said, I exist, and that is all, and I find it nauseating. One philosopher said, happiness is sand between the fingers in the wind. That's a really good one, huh? That's what happiness is. You see how futile, the futility of this and, and trying to find hope apart from God, living in a fallen world? Scripture teaches us what shall profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul. Listen to me. If you're living in this world where the mindset, where your mindset is finding ultimate peace, ultimate joy, ultimate comfort from this world, then no matter how hard you strive, no matter how much you accumulate, no matter what you achieve, in the end, the futility of the falling world will not satisfy because it cannot satisfy. Do you understand? The world itself is looking for redemption. Why are you looking in this world to find those kinds of things? And that's, that's what Paul's saying. The, how many people, there's been a huge resurgence in kind of getting back to nature, nature religion and the witchcraft new age. People are going back to, to Mother Earth. What are they hoping to find there in that way? The earth itself is the creation itself is in bondage. And so we need to look beyond it. It's looking beyond itself, right? So if you're trying to find your happiness and joy here, you're going to end up miserable, man. It's not going to work. It's not going to happen from you because you're fallen. It's not going to happen from the things of this world because it's a fallen world which itself recognizes, acknowledges its own futility and own bondage. So why would you do that? It doesn't make sense. And yet, that's what people do. What do people do? I'm going to live my best life now. I'm going to do all that I can in this life. I'm going to strive. And, and if I get this, then I'll be happy. And all I need is that person, and that's going to bring me joy. And if I get this amount of education, that's going to get me some, some real um, identity in that, or, or, or my profession or my job. That It will not satisfy in the end. It cannot satisfy because of the futility of the world. The world itself is looking beyond itself. It's looking to Christ and his return to be renewed. That's what Paul's saying here. And verses 21 and 22 are really a promise from God. Look at this. It was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. Then 21, that the creation itself will be set free from the bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Do you see that? There's a beautiful promise there because the creation itself is looking beyond itself, as it were, to Christ. And this is really a promise from God that one day, listen, one day, at that day, the consummation, the corruption will give way to perfection. There will be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears. If you're in Christ, you will experience that. The futility will be replaced by fruitfulness. Remember those pictures we looked at at first? That's what it'll be like all the time. Even better, if you could imagine that. The Bible says we can't imagine. No heart, as we read, no heart can imagine what God has prepared for us. That pain that we feel right now, that pain, he compares it to labor, right? Even for the creation, that labor pain, you know what that's like, but you know once that baby's delivered, the joy that that, that, that baby brings to you. That's the kind of idea that he's saying here. That pain will give way to joy. That's the hope of the Christian. If you're not in Christ, you don't have that hope. Second Peter 3.13 tells us this. 
But according to his promise, we are waiting. We are waiting. We are anticipating. We have that assurance. We have that hope of new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Amen? So listen, as Christians, you do not place your trust and hope in this world. Don't you do that. Don't you think that you're going to find something in this world, no matter what it is, that it's going to give you lasting lasting happiness. It won't. It won't give you peace. I don't care if it's a person. I don't care if it's a, a, a job, a profession, school, whatever it is. It's not going to give you the things that you need. You can fill yourself up on all that stuff, on all your vices, whatever you want to do, those things that you're doing. You will not find happiness, joy, peace. Because you're looking to the creation which itself has fallen, that can't provide it, that needs a savior itself, as it were, to find salvation. It doesn't work. That's why Paul, and that's why John tells us that we are not to love this world. First John 2, 15 and 17 says, listen, listen, Christian, don't love this world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, the things I was just talking about, is not from the Father, but from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So you could see the connective tissue to, to the eternal state and what he's talking about there. Now listen, it doesn't mean that we do not live life to its fullest as Christians, that we don't enjoy the things of this world. It's still God's creation. He gives us good gifts. He gives us abilities and talents. So we can live life fully in that way. But here's the caution. Don't make worldly success your chief aim. Don't do that. Don't put your hope in your stuff. Don't put your hope in yourself. Don't put your hope in what you could achieve or what you think you're going to. You will be you will be disappointed, utterly disappointed. Right? Don't simply live in this world to to please yourself, but to glorify God in all that we do. That's what he's saying here. That's the hope. So so that's what that's what it means. As Christians, we are strangers and aliens. We should never be that comfortable in this place. Are you real comfortable here with the way the world is and, and just fitting right in? If you do, then you need to come and see me or you need to talk to one of the elders because you shouldn't feel that way, man. Because as Christians, there's always that tension with the world. There's always that tension between heaven and this fallen world. And we live in that. So don't, if you're comfortable, if things are just wonderful and you have no objections to anything that's going on, you're just fitting in perfectly. Nobody even knows that you're a Christian. They don't even, that's not good. That's not good. They need to know that you're a Christian because of the stand that you're taking. They need to know that you're a Christian because of the way you live your life. They need to know that you're a Christian because they don't see how, that you're not so dependent on everything. You could have things, but just like Paul says, I know how to get along with a lot. I know how to get along with little. I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So if I have a lot, amen, praise God, I could share with others. If I don't have much, I'm depending on the Lord Jesus Christ. When people see that, they see Christ in you. That's what he's talking about here. Then he goes on, verses 22 through 25. He says this, For we know creation is groaning, uh, now to, um, creation is groaning together with pains of childbirth until now. Then he says, and not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit. That means we're in Christ. We're way we groan inwardly as we eagerly await for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he doesn't see. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with it. We wait for it with patience. And that's a big for us. We also wait for the full redemption of our bodies. 
Like I just said, we're groaning, we're longing, we're not too comfortable here. It's not that we're majorly uncomfortable and just like hide and, and get our own little pietistic circle, circles. We're in the world, we're not of the world, right? So, but, but, but still, we're longing for that day, that glorious day when all will be made new. Don't you long for that? Yeah, that's, that's a great hope for Christians. Again, it's not pie in the sky, it's the eternal promise of God who created us, who decreed these very things. That's the hope that we have. So Revelation 21 Verses 1 through 5 says this, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. The sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. And they will be his people. And God himself will be, be with them as their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, crying, or pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he goes on to say, making all things new. That's what we have to look forward to. Do you have that hope in Christ? That's, that is our eternal hope. Right? There's another side to that. We'll talk about that in just as we get to the end of the message. But that is our hope. That's why we endure. That's why we struggle. That's why we go through what we go through. That's what Paul is saying here. So as we're waiting for that, as we're waiting for that, as we're striving towards that, in the meantime, right now, he says that we must remain hopeful and patient in our suffering as we wait for his return. That's the trick. That's the big deal. That's what you need to learn and understand. Earlier, I was saying in in. In many ways, we suffer just like others do. We're not immune to the maladies of this world. They affect us as well. And yet, our reality in Jesus Christ makes all the difference in the world in how we handle these things, how we view these things. Do we get sick? Yeah, we get sick. And you're real sick. But you know what? 2 Corinthians 5, 1 and 2 tells us this. As Christians, see, the world doesn't have this. You have this as a Christian. We know that if the tent of our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made of hands, eternal in heavens. For in this tent, speaking of our bodies, we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. See, we know that. So as sick as we get, we pray to be healed. But we know in the end, we belong to him. To be, to be uh, absent from the body is to be what? Present with the Lord. See, that's the difference that it makes. That's the difference we have. That's why we wait patiently. That's why we persevere through these things, even though we're affected by the fall. Yes, we have pain, profound pain, sorrow, sadness, but we also have deep comfort, don't we? We're never without that comfort from the Lord. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. We have that real comfort. See, that makes all the difference. Are we bewildered at times, the tragedies and hardships that, that might not make sense? Like, how, how could that happen? Just so, just doesn't make any sense to me. But as we reflect further on it, we see that it's not arbitrary. We know that it's not without purpose. It's still under the purview and the sovereignty of God, although it may be a very hard providence. That makes all the difference, doesn't it? Horatio Spafford was a Christian. He was an attorney, and he was a real estate investor, and he had lots of real estate in Chicago. And things were going along, his family's wealthy and happy and in the Lord. 
But in a very short period of time, tragedy befell this family, God's hard providence. Uh, his fortune was lost in the great Chicago fire of 1871. All his real estate burned to the ground, gone. Not long after that, their four-year-old son died of scarlet fever. Can you imagine that? Obviously, as we think about our kids and, and you know, just that, that pain, that tragedy, that disease that comes along. Not long after that, in the midst of their mourning and, and difficulties or, you know, kind of working through it, decided to send his wife and four daughters over to England almost as a vacation just to kind of recuperate. Well, as they're going over to England, as they're sailing over, there's a terrible collision with another boat in the Atlantic, and they sink. Four daughters drown. The wife was left. So he goes on a ship to cross over, and it was pointed out that spot where the, where the ship with his daughters, with his family's on, went down. And it's at that point and at that time that he wrote the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, and we'll be singing that. We're still susceptible. We suffer like others, but with a difference. Now, we also suffer unlike others in this fallen world. And often it's at the hands of those who love this world. And so if they love this world, they're not going to be too fond of us as Christians as we live consistently, faithfully, lives that honor Christ. It's just a fact, man. You know it. We were on that other side at one time when we loved this world and those, those Christians they used to, you know, you're telling me what to do, that I can't do this. We had born-again Christians that lived on our street, up the street. And I just remember making fun of them. You know, one time, little Danny fell and he cut his knee open. And the mom's like, oh, we prayed for him. And the Lord, they were charismatic. And the Lord, we prayed for him. We know there's this healing coming to him and he's going to be fine. And we just kind of laughed. Why are you praying for him? Right? So we were on that other side and we were living for this life. But we also, as Christians will suffer at the hands of those who love this world. And this kind of really will circle, we're circling back to verse 18, because when Paul says, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory to be revealed to us, he is not only talking about the, the, the fallen nature of the world, the natural difficulties that we face, but also the spiritual effects as well. That fits the context even more as, as he's coming up, telling us, giving us assurance as we're living this Christian life, living faithfully. And if we live faithfully as Christians, we must expect pushback. Just expect it. And, and so that's, so, that's going to bring suffering to us. Living fa- Philippians 1.26 tells us this. It tells us as much. It's been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in him, that's amazing and that's wonderful, but that you also suffer for his sake. And they go hand in hand. If you believe in Jesus Christ, then you will be ready to suffer for him. Personally, by not indulging your sin or fighting sin. And when it comes to standing for Christ and standing for him, you will do that. So it goes hand in hand. If you belong to him and you're living faithfully, you can expect pushback. And then what are you going to do? Are you going to say yes to Christ and no to sin? Or are you going to give in to sin and and reject Christ at that time? 2 Timothy 3.12 Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Yes, we should try to live a quiet life. Not get in other people's way, but if you're trying to, if you're living a godly life and you're living for Christ and you're preaching to others and you're standing for the commandments of the gospel, you can expect pushback. You can't, like, that's what living a Christian life is. Like, that's what he says. Everyone who, if you want to live a godly life, it's not just living godly, quietly, being your good little neighbor and everybody loving you. It's when you take a stand on the word of God and your loving neighbor rejects you and hates you because of what you believe. That's what it is. That's a pushback that we can expect. 
right? And that's where we find ourselves today. Now listen, we're living right now, and I want you to take comfort in these words of Paul, because we're living right now at a time where most people, most people have gone from not wanting to hear truth. There's so many people that don't want to hear truth. Don't tell me about your Christian belief. Don't tell me what I can do, who I can sleep with, where I can go, what I need to do. Don't give me your Christian stuff. They don't, there was a time when people just didn't want to hear truth. That's one thing. But we are living in a time right now where people will no longer tolerate truth. And that's a big difference. Understand that? It's not that they just don't want to hear it, but they're not going to tolerate it right now. So we're entering in a danger zone at this point in time. You need to know that. You need to understand that as you stand firm on our, on our Christian values. We're not simply considered a nuisance. You know, people can say, oh, those Christians, holier, blah, blah, people. It's not like that anymore. We're not simply considered a nuisance, but you're seen as a threat. You are seen as a threat to people's way of life. That's, that, that ups the ante very much. We're no longer just those religious people over there doing their thing in their churches. No, we are troublemaking, intolerant, unloving, uncaring people standing in the way of my happiness. You need to know that that's how more and more that's a perception of Christians. And when that's the perception, that opens up the door to a lot of animosity. Not just like, oh, those Christians over there, but how dare you? Who do you think you are? Palpable anger. You could see it in some of these people, just interviews. Who are you to tell me who I am and what I can be and what I can do and can't do? Who are you to impose your rules on me in that way? That leads to justification, a real justification for mistreatment and persecution. And that's what Paul's saying that the sufferings of the present time, this is what we have to remember, can't be compared to the glories that await us. So as we're being faithful, we need to be ready. I think it seems we're just a little bit away from a lot of trouble as we live faithfully at this time. But that's our call, is to live faithfully at this time. Understand? We can't count on the things that we counted on before to keep us safe in that way. But we need to be ready. We need to be willing, in some cases, as for standing for the truth of the gospel in Christ, to say no, it might mean your job. So what are you going to do? Are you going to say yes? Are you going to say no? I know that's a real hard decision. You're going to go along, you're going to rationalize it. You say, well, this is, you know, everybody else is doing it. I want to be a good Christian. I want to show them my love. There's going to come a time where either you are for him or you're against him. Either you're with me or you're not. That's, that's what scripture says. That's what Jesus teaches. And that time is very quickly approaching. You're going to call me by my pronouns or you're going to call me by you know, the name I want to be called? You're going to, you're going to at, 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 the, at the job site, you're going to honor this? Are you going to um, put these policies in place and abide by them? Or are you going to say no? Are you going to teach this? Are you going to say I can't do that? These are real consequences, real time. We really need to search ourselves in our own hearts because it will be costly for us. And it's not enough just to say, no, I can't do that. But when you say no, you can expect so much pressure, so strong a pushback. Not just the, the name calling, the ridicule, the fines. Oh, I can't bake a cake. I'll bake a cake for your birthday, no problem, but I can't do it for a wedding because that goes against my values. Well, now you're going to lose your business, you're going to be fined, and you might be thrown in prison. This is a reality in our day. Are you willing? Are you ready? That's why he says, as we suffer these things, 
we're encouraged because it can't compare to what we have. They could, they, the body they may kill, but they can't just destroy our soul in that way. Understand? It might cost relationships within our own families because you're standing for Christ as much as we love our family members. If they're, they're, it doesn't matter what, whatever sin they're caught up in. Well, I'm just going to live this kind of life or I'm going to do this. We're going to make this decision. We we'll, we'll say, wait a minute. We ready? It might be very difficult very soon, very frustrating, very frightening, very painful, very difficult to live faithful for such a time as this. But that's what Paul in part pens these kinds of words for us. Because it's the gospel and only the gospel that is the hope in this world. Listen, the gospel is the only hope that fallen people in this world have. They can't look to the world. They can't look to the things of this world. They can't make their idols. They can't worship the earth. The earth itself is looking to be redeemed. There's nothing here for them in that regard. It's the gospel alone that saves. That's the only help that they have in this world is the gospel itself. And that makes it worth it. That makes the suffering worth it. It makes it worth suffering for as Christians. So don't be afraid to stand on the truth. Don't be afraid to proclaim the gospel no matter what the cost because they need that gospel more than you need their acceptance. They need that gospel more than you need your safety. They need that gospel more than you need your money. They need that gospel just like you needed the gospel of Christ. And we endure the suffering, the pain, the ridicule, the outcastness, because we know what awaits us, even as we wait for him. But we also endure especially because we know what awaits them apart from Jesus Christ. Do you understand? We are looking forward to new heavens and new earth, renewed glory, those pictures we showed you, but even better, but apart from Jesus Christ. And this is what makes the suffering worth it for the sake of Jesus Christ. Because they need the gospel. They need Christ. They need our prayer. If they hate us, we still love them. If they hit us, we turn the other cheek. It doesn't matter. You can insult me all you want, but I'm going to tell you the truth about Jesus Christ because that's what you need because that's the only thing that's going to save you from hell because we look forward to new heavens and earth. But those apart from Christ have a much different eternal future according to Scripture. And that is a separation from God and eternal hell and punishment under the wrath and curse of God. The world can't save them. Only the word can and only the gospel does. That's what makes it worth it. That's what that's why we that's why we do. That's why Paul says, I considering the sufferings at this present time, because he was suffering for the sake of the gospel, wasn't he? When he preached the gospel, he'd get beat up at times. When he preached the gospel, he was thrown in jail at times. When he preached the gospel, he was outcast at times. His friends hated him. His family members rejected him, but it was worth it to him. The sufferings at the present time weren't able to compare with the glory revealed at that time. And that's amen for us. But we can't forget the flip side of that. What awaits those who refuse to trust in Jesus Christ? And that makes it worth it. And that's why we do it. Not just for our glory, because we'll be with God. But for those who do not come, who need to hear the word. And if we don't do it, and we're not being that instrument in his hand. We're not being spent, as Luke loves to say, for him. Right? 
We're just preserving ourselves. We're just looking at ourselves for this life, for this world. Well, at least I have my house. At least I have my money. At least I got my thing. At least I'm okay. All right? But you think about that. Is it worth it when eternity is at stake?